The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is the one, the only, the beast from the eastern part of the Portrum, Portrum, Jesus, let's try that, from the Portland metro area. Oh, fuck, I need you more coffee. You are wrong because I'm from the western is it, that is west, huh? Yes. Duh. See, I, th- I'm in eastern Washington County, but west of in the Portland metro. Area. Here's the jacked up thing. Like I've already had like about a half a pot of coffee. And you're still dumb. And I fuck you. I'm still retarded as fuck though. This morning, I swear to God. Yep. Anywho, hi everybody. Sorry. <laughs> I got distracted because something popped up on my Saw something shiny? No, something popped up on my phone. So I was looking at that real quick. Anywho. Is it gay hooker midget porn? No. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Okay, it's going to be a freaking day. I can already tell it. I feel it in my boner. I mean, my bones. Yeah, <laughs> one of them days. It is eight, hey, but a special shout out because this this week here when this airs, yeah, in that week because this weekend here is Jen Doll's birthday. Oh, yeah, because this airs Wednesday. This does. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what date hers is. To be honest, I think it's this week. Her, this is her birthday weekend, right? And Cheryl's birthday is actually the twenty eighth of October, I believe. Damn, sweet. Yeah. I believe it's the 28th or 29th. I can't remember exactly. So sorry. I can't remember either. (laughs) I have a question. What? Why are we whispering? I don't know. Maybe they won't hear it and they won't know that we don't know the exact days. That's exactly it right there. Yeah. Shh. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. They'll think that we know. Don't tell. (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. What the (laughs) hell? Don't tell your parents. It's a special secret. You sick fucker. That's just not what I said. I saw your cousin uh, Chris Persoon, uh, Persoon uh, posted that uh, her his him, his him and his wife went to a concert, and I almost replied. I almost said, "Tell that bitch to get her hands off of my man." <laughs> what concert did they go to? Fuck! I just saw it this morning too. I haven't been on Facebook. So. God damn it! I swear to God, I can't remember shit today. I know. Me neither. It's probably because I had a couple of asthma attacks last night. Oh. Yeah, I was jacked up. Sorry about that. My, my, my sinuses are still draining into my lungs, and I don't understand why this is happening. The doctors don't even know. Because I'm doing everything I'm supposed to I do my sinus rinses. I've been taking my allergy pills. Everything. Mm-hmm. And still, and I'll, I'll go to sleep. I'll be in a dead sleep. And then it's like I'm drowning on my own mucus. Sit up in bed, scare the shit disgusting. out of myself. It is. It's gross. And then end up coffee and coffee and coffee and getting it all the... And it's not an infection. It's all clear. Right. You know... It's it, not green? No, it's not green. It's just it's all perfectly clear. And, you know, then go blow my freaking nose. And I sound like a damn... I sound like a, a, a Canadian goose who has asthma. Honk, honk, honk. Or like a really aggressive, aggressive old guy. Get out of my way. Honk, honk. I poop my pants. I need new <laughs> pants. 
you know what the funny part is? Is two of my uncles, every time they blow their nose, it sounds like that. But then again, the pursuits have big honkers. Just saying. My uncle Frank, and he's been he's been passed away for oh shit, like thirty years. Oh, maybe yeah, I think about thirty years. <clears throat> um, he whenever he would blow his nose, every fucking time would scare the shit out of me. Like, and it was just random. Like, you'd be sitting there as a child. I'd be playing at the table and stuff like that. Then you're, oh, give, Jesus Christ. What the hell? Oh, it's Uncle Frank. Okay. God damn. Yeah. Two of my uncles, I swear. It's like. But then, like I said, the pursuits, which is my mom's family. They have really big, like, narrow noses. But then my cousin Kyle, he was cursed with it. Because he's not only a pursuit, he's a kissner, and they're, they are all big-nosed people. Is that the gay one that's in the Navy? He's in the Navy. He's not gay. He's gay. Nah. Gay as hell. Just because he ate a cock and balls does and not he mean he's gay. And he dresses up like a big sperm. <laughs> I saw him all in, all, in, all in white, like a big semen. Oh, yeah, in his Navy whites. That's right. Look like a big semen. <laughs> yes, you are, sir. Mm. Anywho. Good to the last drop, I guess. I bet you he wants to be a rear admiral. Stop it! (laughs) I'm going to hurt you. Load this port. (laughs) On another note, real quick, is I got the photos um, to start advertising Ward Weaver's creations. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so we'll have that up on the website and the Facebook, the Book of Faces. How about Todd's book that's coming Soon. out? We, I'm not going to talk about that until I get it approved. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, because, you know. Right. Remember, and you got to talk a little louder into your microphone. I know, I, I'm putting more medicine on my wrist. <laughs> Shut up. Everybody knows I had surgery, and this is what's keeping my scar from getting ugly. And actually, it's, it's healing pretty good. It is healing pretty good. I just wish the numbness would go away, and I wish it wouldn't hurt when, like, it's resting again. I mean, there's times when it'll, like, shoot a pain. I go, ow! God damn. But yeah. But as long as you're talking into your mic and we get a better signal of what yes. I'm getting, we are fucking golden. All right, so let's just get started with this shit, because yes. we have a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of yes. stuff to do today. Today, we're going to be doing the Martinville 7. Martins. Bill. Oh, I just put Martinville. Anyway, Martinsville Seven. Yes. And, you know, honestly, that sounds like it's a it's a sporting goods store, like Big Five. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where are you going? It's got the Martinsville Seven. They're having uh, a sale on rifles. Yeah. And hunting season's uh, coming. <laughs> it's upon us. Is it almost duck season or rabbit season? Rabbit season. Duck season. Rabbit season. Duck season. I know. I love. I love the old cartoons. Granted, now that you look back on them, though, because I was watching them when I babysat that little girl, they are violent, but she was enthralled, so I didn't care. They're awesome. One with Foghorn Leghorn and that dog uh, popped up on my, on, uh, I think I was watching TikTok, and I laughed my ass off that. Oh, I know. I know. And then, I mean, let's not even talk about Peppy Le Pew, who always tried to sexually assault the cat. Yeah, he, he's a rapist. <laughs> uh, but freaking... I love it because the, the abuse went both ways. Like, the dog blew uh, Foghorn Leghorn up, blew all of his feathers mm. off. Well, and, I say. And, well, I say. That's why I have my my feathers number for just such an occasion. And then, you know, like, uh, 
he would like paddle the dog's ass with a board. Yeah. Cause him to hang himself in a well. Yeah. I laughed. I'm a holy cow. I think I'm going to sit home one day, get stoned as fuck, and just watch classic cartoons. Dude, I'm telling you, I think that I have, they're on HBO, which your my HBO is hooked up on up on your you know what I You know what I found out? Because you know that I don't watch very much TV at all. Yeah. I not only have HBO, I have stars, and I think I have the Disney Plus. That's also mine. Disney Plus, Hulu. I no, think Hulu I had it before yours. you. I think I had that still before you. I mean, this new one might be yours because I remember watching The Mandalorian on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cause, well, yeah. And then, like I said, um, but HBO is on there because I downloaded it when I was here. Yeah, I God, I have access to all kinds of horror flicks and everything this time of the month, and I'm still not watching enough of them, dude. I've that's what me and Adam have been doing, like binging horror movies. Hell yeah, that's the way to I go, mean, man. I made it through three of the Freddy Kruegers. Well, be careful with Adam, though. Remember, he is slightly retarded. Stop using that word. He is? I can prove it. Why, because he, he stumbled into the door? Because he walked right into the door. Into the sliding glass door? And that's what I was telling. I was telling... Uh, At least uh, he didn't go through it and break it. I was telling Jax that, his wife, I said, we need to have him classified or certified as, as mentally deficient. And then the company can get a tax break. Yeah. It'd be awesome. Someday. Someday. <laughs> My humanitarian uh, work for the day. Uh, see, we employ the mentally infirm. <laughs> yeah. Love you, Adam. <laughs> yeah. So this actually is a case out of 1949, but I think it's important because it's very controversial. Um, it was that far back? I thought it was more. Okay. No, no. That's the West Memphis three. I think you're thinking oh, about. Oh, that's probably what I'm thinking. God yeah. Damn. Okay. So on January 8th, 1949, a group of seven men sexually assaulted a 32-year-old woman in the city of Martinsville, Virginia. Um, excuse me. I saw that on Pornhub, and that's called a gangbang. Stop it! What? I want to get through more than the first sentence before the hour's up. Fine. Fine. I'm just saying. So, when the details of that offense were reported in the local newspaper, the residents <laughs> of that small town, that town were shocked that any that something like that could happen in their, you know, relatively calm community. Now, the crime, of course, angered many, many people. The suspects were had been drinking all day, and later testimony indicated that at least four were intoxicated during the assault. Now the victim was a Mary was a woman married to a local store manager, and she suffered severe psychological and physical injuries. Now, she ended up being hospitalized and was kept in seclusion until the court proceedings began April in, in April of 1949. Now, this, I mean, and this is the case. All seven were African-American men. Okay, they were black men. And the victim was white. That's why I said it's controversial because 1949... You know, you know. Now, despite the, uh, like, racial aspects of this case, the judicial atmosphere was calm and deliberate. Too deliberate, some, you know, have speculated. According to one newspaper report um, that was published on June 1st, 1949, 
it said, I quote, that the defense attorney stood idly by while the prosecution, the judge, and the all-white jury with unbelievable speed up railroad, unbelievably sped up railroading the seven men, basically. Now, this case received a lot of national attention, though it's still, it's really not, you know, a lot of people today are like, who are the West Memphis Seven? Now, that's because the guilt of the defendants was never in question. They actually confessed upon their arrest, and several of the men admitted to the assault during their trial. Though civil rights groups tried to help, public support for the defendants was tempered by the fact that they were, you know, guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, after a series of six trials, which took place over 11 days, which it's like, okay, unless they're going on at the same time, how do you do six trials in 11 days, right? They were convicted of rape, first degree rape. Now, one child required just six hours before the jury reached a verdict. Still not a record. That's not even close to the records we've seen. Here's the thing, juries. Speed that shit up, okay? You guys are all slackers. We've seen it as good as, what, like 12 seconds per count. Yeah, that and that was uh, patois because it's like he had all those charges. Excuse me. I don't want to know about your patois. Um, okay. That's inappropriate for this show, ma'am. Ma'am, I'm going to need you to calm down with your sexual out you in you in Again, innuendos. You're the one that in does your that. Endo. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, in, this is not only yeah. That's yeah. Patois was like record, and then of course the 45 seconds for uh, what's her name that baby farmer in England, right, Amelia right. Dyer. Uh, I was trying to think. I think it was 12 seconds for Patois. Per count. Yeah. It, yeah. It was per count. It's like 12 or 15 seconds. It, well, it was, I think it was, I think it was between 10 and 12, if I remember it? correctly. Cause we were like, cause it was like, Oh, cause it came back with so many minutes and you're like, Oh my God, that's like not the record. And I go, wait a minute. Here, hold on per count. I'm like, <laughs> I look, cheers, man. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. Now during that time, Virginia statute stated, you know, when the men were found guilty, they received the death penalty for first-degree rape, which I think that should still be the case today, okay, yeah. honestly. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's never been a case like this since in the history of American criminal justice in America. And because of that reason, these defendants became known as the Martinsville Seven. Now, in 1949, Martinsville was actually a relatively small community with only 18,000 citizens. And people don't, people are like, oh my gosh, 18,000, because you have way smaller. But I mean, yeah. I look at like Forest Grove, Hillsboro, Beaverton, they all have well over that. And for, I think Forest Grove is a small community. However, nearly 5,000 of those residents were black. Look, it's located in Henry County near the North Carolina border. Martinsville was a chief supplier of wood furniture during that time. DuPont also maintained a huge nylon production plant in the town and employed several thousand people as well. The lumber milling and tobacco farming were also important industries in that county. Roanoke, about 30 miles north, was a major city in that region. Today, Martinsville is actually home to one of the most popular stock car racing speedways on the NASCAR circuit. 
But in 1949, the small town was like a lot of other communities in rural Virginia, which struggled to survive in post-war America, and they also struggled to adapt to the changing world. Um, Now, Ruby Stroud Floyd was a 32-year-old white woman married to Glenn Floyd, a store manager in downtown Martinsville. Not to be confused with Pink Floyd and the dark side of the moon. Now, they had moved to the area just several years before this. To supplement the family's income, she actually sold secondhand clothes and vegetables from her garden to local residents. Then on January 8th, 1949, at approximately 4 p.m., she walked over to the east side of the city to collect $6 that was owed to her by a previous customer named Ruth. I think it's called Petty, P-E-T-T-I-E. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Ruby was familiar with the area because she also performed missionary work as a Jehovah Witness. Nope. You know what? No, no, do no. not say it. They that they, they, they do they, not say it. Fine, fine. Just say Jehovah Witnesses. But you know what? Just continue. Okay, fine, Jehovah Witnesses. In the past, she had occasionally she had occasion to visit that neighborhood, though there were parts of Martinsville that she still didn't know that well. Now, the predominant it was predominantly a black area called Cherrytown by the locals. The east side consisted of a large number of single-family dwellings and wooden shacks. More often than not, the, the area had no street numbers or identifying characteristics. So Ruby stopped to ask for directions at the home of a lady named Rosa Martin. After she got the instructions on how to find her way to, um, oh, what's her name? I lost her name. Ruth's house. Um... Okay, Ruth's house, Rosa Martin's 11-year-old son, Charlie, agreed to show Ruby the way, right? Probably wanted to give her one of those lighthouse fucking pamphlets <laughs> knocking on her door. Is it? Li- yeah, it is lighthouse. Yeah, it's lighthouse. Oh, believe me, I know. I Oh, my God. Okay, so number one, ex-wife number one, Maritza, one of my best friends, she was raised Jehovah Witness. She's not part of that cult anymore. And if you're a Jehovah Witness out there, you can give me shit about it. I don't care. Um, I, I, I said what I said. Anyway. Um, but I think it's a cult, too, but that's another. So I've had them approach me. Like, when I was driving over the road, I remember being in Wyoming, um, just outside of Cheyenne. I'm at a truck stop. It's the morning. Mm-hmm. I had just gone inside, got my coffee. I'm sitting in the driver's seat, just kind of waking up a little bit, getting ready to take my day on. And there's this cute lady who knocks on my door. Now, that only happens when somebody needs help. Right. Roll down my window. I'm like, hey, what can I do for you? You know, being nice, thinking, oh, she needs help. I'll help her, you know. And I, I don't mean that in a sexual way. For, for once. And she goes, hi, can I interest you in a lighthouse ma- uh, magazine or pamphlet? And I'm like, oh, fuck. Can I talk to you about Jehovah Witnesses? Uh, lady. I... Just woke up and got my coffee. I, know, I can't right? articulate to you how much you're pissing me off right fucking I'm now. I'm telling you. I'm telling like, you. There's not even words in my vocabulary at this moment. <laughs> hell no. Go the fuck away. Who the hell knocks on someone's truck door? I mean, for real, man. It's bad enough they knock on your house door. Oh, I've told stories about that. 
I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not as mean as you are, but... Here, here's something that y'all can do that, that that will guarantee that your local Jehovah Witnesses will never knock on your door gate. And they will cross the street and not pass by your house. They will always come like with a teenage girl or something, or even a child. Look at him and go, sure, but how much for the little girl? That's disgusting. Will you take $5? Stop that. I've got a 10. Like, make me a trade. Mm. Yeah, tell me more about the little girl. Something really creepy. I guarantee they will avoid you like you have freaking leprosy. Well, you know. Or like you're from Jacksonville, Florida. Don't you have leprosy? No, that's in, that, that's in Florida. In Florida, they have gators, leprosy, and Jen Dahl who wants to skin everybody. I don't even know what to say to you. What are you taking a note on? How do you know I'm taking notes? I'm, I'm just writing down these names so I don't forget them. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you were writing like, Dear Diary, today Scott we talked about leprosy. Died. And I stabbed Scott in the butthole. Stop it. What'd I do now? Anyways. After, I know butthole so, stabbing. Is it you happy it. now? The ele- so anyways, the 11-year-old child and Ruby actually crossed Highway 58, and which actually was what the you know the local citizens considered you know that dividing line between the white section of Martinsville and the black section known as Cherrytown. Good, they know where they belong. Well, I mean, boy. it kind of it kind of be- stop it. <laughs> the, it kind of goes along with you know that old saying, "the wrong side of the tracks." Or yeah, you know. no, to- every town that has more than uh, like two hundred people mm-hmm. or three hundred people have that part of town. You have the part of town where everybody's just kind of normal and. What happened? Then you have like, uh, like even the small town. Then you have the hoods, like e- yeah. even, even my small town that I was raised in. You, you had that one farm where you're like, yeah, everybody's cool. Don't go by this farm though. Nah, there's a lot of weird. We don't even talk to them, and like they yeah. never come into town ever. Well, and that's what Northeast Portland was considered. It was considered the hood, you know, or you know, some people even refer to it as the ghetto because there were a lot of rundown places. North Portland's still like that. Dude, I'm telling you. Except for little pockets Well, and then there's, south, then there's southeast off of um, 82nd and, and Division and, yeah, Flavelle and uh, Powell, that area. That whole area right there, like, seriously? It is, like, so, I mean, you can drive down 82nd and go, I am afraid to pull over my car and stop and get gas. I tell you, Just man. saying. I am good at combat. And okay? most of them are actually white people that are just strung out on meth. I was so. going to say, I'm pretty good at combat. I can, I, you know, I, I can defend myself without a problem. I get nervous when I drive down that area of 82nd. And I look around. And you're right. It's not even a, it's not a black problem no. or a white problem. It, or, 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 it's a drug problem. It's a drug problem, but most of it is white people all sketchy mm-hmm. and skis down. Talking out. to themselves, yelling at, you know, the air. Yeah, you know, then they, huh, do you have an extra dollar? Oh, no, I just ran out of gas. No, dude, you were tweaking so fucking hard. That I, yeah, I'm your getting... jaw's moving like 100 miles an hour and no words are coming out of your mouth. I got a contact tie just by you standing next to me. And people said that can't happen with meth. And now they I'm lied. feeling all jittery as fuck. <laughs> no. I actually didn't finish the sentence because they actually oh, walked. No, it's my fault. Now, they actually walked along the Danville and Western Railroad tracks. Again, wrong side of the track. <laughs> now, um, Ruth's house was less than a half a mile from Rose's house where, you know, um, Ruby stopped and asked for directions. 
But here's the thing. She never made it there. Now, that same afternoon in downtown Martinsville, 19-year-old Frank Hairston, who was a local youth, he was, you know, he worked for Woolworths. He met up with three of his other friends, 19-year-old cemetery worker by the name of Booker Milner. Then there was a 19-year-old who worked at the lumber mill named Joe Henry Hampton. And there was also 18-year-old Howard Harrison, which is Frank's uh, half-brother. Now, these men knew each other well. Hairston had been a common name in that town since the Civil War days. It was said that a local plantation owner from the 19th century by the name of Watt Hairston, Hairston, sorry, was a common... I'm sorry, Watt, did you say? (laughs) Was a common ancestor of all of, you know, the Hairstons in that area. Now... Milner, Hampton, and the Harrison brothers went to the movies and drank wine in the theater until about 4 p.m. Winos. I'm pretty sure that they snuck it in because that's before they started serving alcohol in the movie theater. Now, after they left the theater, they walked along Main Street, and it was just, you know, the weather was clear that day. It was, you know, probably in the 50s, so it was comfortable, which I love 50, 60-degree weather. Now, together, they actually decided to go down to the Danville and Western Railroad tracks to continue drinking for the rest of the afternoon. Why no, we ain't afraid of nothing but running out of wine. I I love that saying. It's my favorite thing I've ever heard you say. That's got to be one of them. Why no, we ain't afraid of nothing but running out of wine. Why no, we ain't afraid of nothing but running out of wine. That's right. I think I got that from a rap song, but I'm not sure. It's probably one of my rap songs with me and Notorious P.I.G. No. Yeah. No. Now, before they left the downtown area, they bought several more bottles of wine. Now, one of them, you know what I keep thinking about when they talk about this is because I don't know if it's before the time of Mad Dog 2020. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. It's probably a little bit of MD 2020. I mean, that's what I keep thinking about because I know it's way before the purple and pink passion and the wine coolers that we drink back in the day. Ooh. Wait a minute, they're black, right? Yeah. It's Night Train. It's got to be. It's Night Train. If, if that was be- around back then. I night, mean, remember, this is 1949. Night I don't Train know and, what they had. And, and, uh, and uh, uh, OG 2020. Or tw- uh, oh, Mad, Mad Dog 2020. And then there was the, uh, um, Old English. It, oh, yeah. Old English 500? Yeah, whatever the hell it yeah, was. With yeah, with OJ. That- yeah, ew. which is called a brass monkey. Which I have never mixed beer and orange juice together. Beer and tomato juice, yes, but never yeah. orange juice. Yeah, blood, you know that you, just doesn't sound right. We used to do what's called um, when, when we were touring, uh, red beers. Yeah, we call them red eyes, but yeah. And my former father-in-law, this is for ex-wife too. Uh, he would uh, he would do because don't judge me, okay? Number one, what I'm about ready to say, don't judge me, you motherfuckers. Ham's beer. <laughs> Yep, I know. I know. I won't drink it now. You might as well have drank Rainier. (laughs) No, Hams is a step up from Rainier. (laughs) Um, And then he would put some Snappy Tom in it, which was a spicy tomato juice stuff, right? Okay. And a little bit of uh, of hot sauce in there. Like Tabasco? Yeah, and a little bit of pepper. Yeah. And, man, you drink that down. I tell you what, That's almost a Bloody Mary. It's like a a hillbilly fucking Bloody Mary, and that will cure your hangover 
in a hurry. And, yeah. And you get all yeah. your nutrients so you're ready to take on the day so that way they could do some more drinking and do some drugs. It's great. Well, I'll tell you what. I like every once in a while in the mornings if I'm out having breakfast somewhere. I like to have a Bloody Mary without Tabasco sauce but a dash of that, you know, Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire? I can't even pronounce it. Yeah. Nobody yeah, yeah. can. I, I think I watched a TikTok video that said it's the Worcestershire. It's <laughs> so, wash your sister sauce. I've heard that one too. Now, um, do do do. Oh, one of the men actually had a, had some apricot brandy on him. Ooh, According to living the high life, there. I know, Look at right? you, you stud. You must have got a better. You must have got a good paycheck. <laughs> now, according to Frank. Um, Hairston, they left. We left the movies and went to the whiskey store and got two bottles of wine, and then we went up to the up the track. Now, for the ne- about the next hour, they drank nonstop. When they were done, they sent Milner to the same liquor store to buy more wine. Of course. Now, during that time, hold on. I have a question. Uh huh. By chance, are they related to Dan the Boxed Wine Drinking Man? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm just asking for a Frank. Because it's just the like Franz wine? It just really seems like something that... Julio and Gallo, the jug. It sounds like something that Kitty's husband Dan would do. Oh, I need the more wine, but only from a box. <laughs> I'm telling you. Now, and it's spigot. After, while, he, while Milner was gone, the group split up and went home for a w- little while where they actually, you know, got something to eat. Now, according to Frank, Booker T stopped at his house to eat supper and get his overcoat. Howard, Joe, and myself went on down to my house and I ate a sandwich. And by that time, Booker T came on down there. Then the four men went to buy Guess more what? Wine? More wine? More wine. It must be more wine, right? <laughs> now, Milner said later, he goes, Frank went up there, didn't have all the money, and he got some wine for Mr. Gardner on credit. And so we come on down and decided to take it home. After we ate supper, we'd have to go, we'd have some more to drink. And I think it's funny that um, they refer to it as supper because, you know, we call it dinner here, right? Well, I call it supper. Because you're from the South. But my dad always used to say, because we call it lunch and dinner, and it was always something and supper. I can't remember what he called lunch, but yeah. Now, um, do, do, do. on credit, decided to take it home. After we ate supper, we'd have some, some more to drink. Now, then the four men left the house. They returned to the same spot near the railroad tracks and kept drinking. It was a few minutes after that that Ruby and Charlie Martin wandered, you know, walked by. They were trying to find Ruth's house. And then according to Milner, by that time, this lady and little color boy came on down the tracks and asked us, how to do, boy? Howdy do, boys? Just like that. And we said, how do? I'm, I mean, it's so Southern. <laughs> Why? That's how you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go, Howdy, Howdy do. do. Yeah, you go, how do, boys? And then they go, how do. I'm fine, I'm fine. Good day, good day. Is that how Howdy Doody got his name? What's a Howdy Doody? Oh, my God. You don't know Howdy Doody? Nope. The doll, the puppet from back in the day? Notice the silence? Oh, my gosh. You 
Are you a terrorist? Everybody knows it's howdy doody time. Howdy doody time. This was right around the time of Mr. Ed and all them other shows. Um, okay. Oh my God, look him up sometime. Now, according to Frank, we were sitting there drinking the wine when the woman walked up and spoke and asked where Ruth lived. Now, Miss uh, Ruby asked the men if they knew Ruth, where knew Ruth's house, and Booker Milner pointed in the direction. Uh, according to Milner, he said, yes, ma'am, she lives in the second house on the right of the road. Now, after she left, Joe Henry made a comment to the others that the white woman, quote, looked good enough to hug. Now, Hampton, who later said that he was drunk, watched Ruby walk away. A few minutes passed when Ruby returned and walked by the men again, and Hampton made another remark to his friends. He said, the woman walked maybe four, five, or he goes, four or five or six or eight or ten steps from us. It's like, okay, how many was it? And why do you have to go, why couldn't you say between four and ten? I'm just saying. I'm surprised he didn't say, she done walk over yonder. Right? And then um, Joe said, that woman sure got some pretty legs. At that time, Hampton stood up and began to follow her. He, he yelled out, wait, honey. Then Joe got up and walked up the track to the woman and put his arm around her going as they rounded the curve. Now, according to more court testimony, some of the other men tried to stop Hampton, but he was unfortunately the drunkest man in the whole group. And so, of course, you know, he's incoherent and doesn't listen to reason. A little short distance from there, uh, Hampton caught up with Ruby and grabbed her. According to his statement that he told police, he and Howard, Frank and Booker, forced her into a wooded area near the tracks and onto the ground. They argued over who would take the first turn. Um, Hampton said the boys were carrying on, so trying to see who would be the first. They got into a little scrap. Me and some of the other boys made her walk down the ridge. We took the lady down the ridge about 40 or 50 yards into the woods. Now, when they reached that area... Uh, they felt safe enough that nobody would see them, and so they began to rape her. Now, the first one to actually sexually assault Ruby was Joe Hampton. Although he denied that later, he said, I was the third one. Does it really matter? Um, Floyd identified Ham uh, Ruby identified Hampton as the initial attacker during the trial. She said, her testimony said, he helped pull my clothes off and he was the first one. Then the four of them took turns holding her down and raped her repeatedly. They held her legs apart and slapped her. Uh, she said, I was crying and telling them to turn me loose. And then she fought back trying to kick them. But of course, they were holding her. They were holding my legs saying, don't you holler. Don't say nothing. Um, they had their hands over she goes, they had their hands over my mouth and they hit me in the face and told me to hush and be quiet. And they were all the time and they were all the time. One was on me and then the other and then the aunt was on me and then another. And I was trying to get up every time I did. They'd slam me back on the ground. Now, according to her testimony, she said they all continued um, to, you know, like I said, rape her repeatedly. It's like they just 
round robin, I guess. That's a crude way to put it, but I mean, that's what you kind of picture in your head. Is that kind of like your date nights at San Sandy? I'm, I'm just asking. I'm just. I'm just trying to clarify. I'm gonna hit you. Why? I'm just asking. It's always something. Just asking a question, and also follow up question: How many coupons is that? Again, I'm gonna hit you. <laughs> now, I, at that time, after you know, they began to fight amongst themselves again, and that's when she managed to get up and kind of run out of the woods. That's where she noticed a black woman walking by on the road past those tracks, and she asked her for help. She goes, I threw my arms around the colored woman and asked her to please help me and please have mercy on me. Um, and then she, uh, that's when the woman snatched her hands away and said, don't tear my clothes off. Then the, these colored men just wrung my hands loose from this colored woman, and then they drug me back into the woods. It was around 6 p.m. when three other men arrived. They were also Martinville residents. It was 20-year-old James Luther Harrison, a furniture builder, 21-year-old John Taylor, who worked in a tobacco warehouse, and 37-year-old Francis DeSalle, DeSalle Grayson. Now, um, he was a World War II veteran. They came upon the other four men who were who were attacking Ruby, you know, conti were continuing to attack Ruby. And according to James' statements of the authorities, he says, when we got there, Booker T. Milner was on the woman. After he got off her, Frank Hairston Jr. went to her. Howard Hairston was the next. When Howard finished, DeSale Grayson actually took his turn. And then John said after that he was next. Um, you know, he was basically the last one to attack her after the assault, which took, I mean, which lasted for almost two hours. The men got up and walked away. Could you imagine being that woman and suffering that for two hours? And it's pretty fucked up. That is fucked up. What gets me is that nobody fucking like, where's the black woman that she ran to? Like, you would think she would have ran to somebody and said, hey, man. These motherfuckers are raping a chick. Exactly. The exactly. Fuck? So I honestly, Although she's I just think as she accountable. I yeah, and, but I think she might have been afraid because this is still during the time when they had lynch mobs. You know what I mean? And they lynch might, the motherfuckers. Well, and they might have implicated her in it as well. Nah, I so, doubt it, man. You got a Negro woman who's running, going, "Hey, man, these motherfuckers over here are ra raping some white chick." You know, she'd be And a keep hero. in mind, people, we're using these terms because that was the terms of the time. You yeah, know? Yeah, colored, Negro, things yeah. like that. But um, a lot of this uh, I'm quoting. So. Like, I'm not, I'm not being a bigot or anything. Right. Just don't fucking shoot me. God damn. Fucking, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. Fuck me running. <laughs> but, um, you know, and said, hey, and she would have been a hero, man. Like, right. seriously, like, she would be like Rosa Parks style hero. They have a hey, right. She saved this white woman. <laughs> from, you know, being raped any further. Exactly. You know, and maybe have even saved her life and, and what have not. But no, this lady walks off like, well, okay, let the white chick just get raped. Right. Dumbasses. I'm telling you. Now, according to Milner, Milner's statement to the courts, he says, I left and went over to Miss Matthews' place. Before I got there, Frank had caught and Joe caught up with me. I got over to Miss Matthews' place and I told Frank, I'm going over to Cherrytown just like that. Now, keep in mind, these are all 
court court you know records court and police records that I'm quoting. So it was around that it you know by the time they finished assaulting her, it was already dark outside. Ruby, who was severely injured, she had blood coming from her face, her knees, and the back wounds. She pulled herself, you know, she got up, gathered what clothes she could find, and just, you know, started walking down the tracks. According to her statement, she said, I was, I couldn't hardly walk. I was paralyzed from the hips down. Uh, She said she continued to walk along the road, and then uh, less than a quarter of a mile later, she came upon a house that had a light in the window. Now, that was the home of Mary Wade. Mary was a black housewife, and her husband who lived with her husband, Jesse Ruby knocked on the door until it opened. And then she screamed out. I was just rape raped. Um, so of course they called the police and, um, it only took minutes for the police to arrive. Now Ruby told them about the assault, told the officers about the assault and brought them, took them back to the scene where they found the rest of her clothing, including her handbag. It was at that time that the cops decided to take Ruby, you know, to the hospital to get medical attention. When she got into the back of the police car, um, they went to Martinsville General Hospital, which was clear on the other side of town. And they passed by a paint shop, which wasn't far from where the attack happened. And the police noticed that there were two black men walking, you know, swiftly down the street. Now, Ruby also saw them. The men were Booker, uh, Booker Milner, Frank Hairston, and I'm sorry, and Frank Hairston. Um, so she told the authorities they were two of the men who raped her. Um, and that's when Sergeant Murray Barrow took them, you know, arrested them. Now, when Ruby was brought to the hospital, Dr. J.A. Ravenel, who was a local physician and he had been living in Martinsville for several years, came in and examined her. Um, he arrived at the hospital around 930 that night. And that's when he saw uh, Ruby for the first time right there in the emergency room. He said later there was some swelling of on her lower lip. There were multiple scratches and abrasions on her elbows and both forearms, her knees, lower legs, and thighs. There was, he said there was one long mark on her left thigh, which to me had been made by a fingernail. There were also a few scratches on her ba- the back of her neck, the back of her right you know, chest area, and both of her buttocks. Now, when he examined her further, he did, you know, realized that she did she was sexually assaulted he also found dirt and twigs amongst her pubic hair and made notations of her emotional you know we gotta note one thing for the people out there that don't realize this this is before they had things like rape kits exactly and dna and all that crap and before they knew knowledge of like when you when when a woman's vape there's actually tearing that happens and i think it's six points um that they that they Right. Check out. I think it's six, but I can't remember. It's been it's been a minute. Um, right. So I mean, that's why they did. That's why he couldn't definitively say she had been raped, but he could say sexual activity because you know, obviously, evidence of it with the semen and stuff like that. Now, wait a minute. Your cousin was there. Stop it. I'm just saying he's now, a semen. Anyways, it was around. 
you know, while she was while Weeby was being examined, the police went out and found little Charlie Martin, the eleven year old boy. Uh and he told the authorities that he knew one of the men who grabbed Ruby. He said he knew Booker T. Uh, so the H.W. Stoles, the chief of police, um, sent out an order to every man in the department who was on duty to locate these attackers. So um, the Martinville Bulletin, another newspaper, actually printed a report the following day that says every available city, county, and state officer in the vicinity was called into the case. And the officers worked all night Saturday and most of Sunday to make the arrests. Now, down at the station, Milner and Hairston denied knowing about the rape. But investigators told them they had actually been eyewitness identified. So within one hour, they both confessed and also told who the other men were immediately the the notice went out to the police you know who were out looking and soon james harrison john taylor howard harrison and DeSale grayson were located and taken into custody now james h barnes interviewed james harrison around 4 20 a.m on sunday Though Miranda rights weren't into in effect by the, at that point, the authorities recognized that the suspects had to be advised in some way of their constitutional rights. Because remember, it didn't go into effect until after the um, yes. Star Rock murders. Yep, yep. Okay. Now, um, he advised Harrison that he did not have to speak to him, if he, and, but if he did, anything he said would be used against him. He, uh, Barnes later said, I told him that some of the other boys who had been picked up had made a statement telling us what their part in the case had been. I asked him if he wanted to tell the truth about it. He right off st- started to give us a statement. So he then he wrote out a confession in which he named the other six men and described the exact attack on Ruby. Now, when Taylor was interviewed, by when Taylor was interviewed by Barnes, he said that he was at Grayson's house earlier when he heard, quote, some boys had a woman up on the ridge. Um, that's when he said that he, Grayson, and James Harrison went to see what was happening. And when he arrived where at the location where Ruby was being assaulted, he saw that he, quote, Joe Henry was on the woman when we got there. I told the other boys that that was a Christian woman and it would cause us some trouble. That if she was drunk, we might get by with it. But I could tell by the way she talked that she was a good woman. Um, Then he said that at that point he expressed some concern about her. But then he also went and attacked her too, you know. Then by late Monday morning, all seven men who had you know, been a part of this attack, were in custody, and they had all signed, you know, written out confessions that they signed. Now, according to the local press, um, oh, well, I'm sorry, the, in the local press, there was little, co- you know, little coverage. There was one article that was published on January 10th, and that headline said seven men charged with assault on woman here 
then it it went on to quote seven Negro men ranging in age from 18 to 37 were charged here today with criminally assaulting the 32 year old wife of a Martinsville store manager early Saturday night. Um, the obviously the race of the defendants against the race of the victim were clearly stated, obviously, you know, um, uh, though the city of Martinsville it was already, you know, but the city had already known about it. Um, a mass lynching was never reality, but the possibility of vigilante action was didn't go ignored. The authorities were quick to recognize that that was a potential threat. So they separated and housed the prisoners in Patrick County and the city of Roanoke. So they weren't in Martinsville anymore. Now, this placement made organized violence against the men difficult, if not impossible. And unlike other southern states, Virginia did not have an extensive history of mob violence or lynching during that time. Now, um, while the men were housed in different counties, Ruby was actually confined to the Martinsville General Hospital, where she was treated for her injuries. And the local newspaper reported... Uh, her condition was described as good by attendants, you know, while she was in the hospital. Then by mid-January, Ruby checked out of the hospital and went to North Carolina to stay with her mom. She was re later readmitted when her mental condition worsened. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Her physical condition worsened because she got an internal infection from the attack. A few days after that, on February 14th, she was actually received a summons to appear at the pretrial hearing. Um, there was a book written on the Martinsville seven by a guy named Eric Rice. Um, he said the defendants had been secretly transported into the city early that morning and no public notice of the hearing had been issued. Um, the authorities in town felt that the less publicity this case received, the less chance there was going to be any type of vigilante justice served. Now, there were dozens of police officers standing guard at the courthouse when the defendants were brought in. Uh, according to records, their confessions were already introduced into evidence, which that made a powerful impact on the court. And then when Ruby testified, she faced all of these defendants for the first time. One defense attorney actually asked her why she didn't scream for help. She goes, I didn't try to holler because they told me they'd kill me if I did. It's a, that was an important part of her testimony because it showed the force that was used on her, um, which at that time was a legal requirement for the prosecution to uh, win a wait, rape case. Plus, in today's, uh, by today's standard, that would uh, if they made that threat, that's rape with intent to, to yeah. commit murder. Right, which is an aggravated rape. Yep, that's what I was thinking yeah. of. Yeah. So this case went forward, you know, after the pretrial to the Henry County Grand Jury. And that happened in early April of 1949. One wit only one witness was needed to testify. And that was Sergeant James H. Barnes. And it was based on his testimony, along with the written confessions, that all seven were indicted on April 11th facing rape charges. According to Virginia law at that time, and everybody knew this, the penalty for first-degree rape was the death penalty. Um, 
Now, according to, you know, reports from the very beginning, people were worried about the racial aspects of this case. There was no secret that historically, when a black man raped a white woman in the South, they generally paid for that crime with their lives, whether the executions were carried out by the court or by a lynch mob. Oh, not in the Great South. That never <laughs> happens. Yeah, that never <laughs> happened. Not like it's all over the history books or anything. Ah, they're lying. <laughs> now, however, according, you know, these same reports stated that the officials, you know, the authorities in Martinsville were determined to let justice, you know, take its course as opposed to, you know, so on the very first day of trial, Judge Kenan Whittle told the prosecution and the defense, quote, I here and now admonish you that this case will be tried in such a way as not to disturb the kindly feeling now locally existing between the races. It must be tried as though both parties were members of the same race. I will not have it otherwise. Which, you know what? I kind of applaud him for that. You know what I mean? I suppose, but, you know, it's the 40s. Lynch I know. Him. Lynch him before the court. Just do <laughs> it. Whatever. Stop it. Well, I'm not even being racial. It kind of worked. But they know that she was she was raped. The, the, the dude said, yeah, we fucking did that shit. Don't even go to court. Hang them right there in the fucking court. Have right. a cup whether of coffee and call yeah. it a day. Whether nice they were white or black, tea. you know. But I do applaud him for, like, trying to take race out of the situation. Especially in 1949. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wasn't saying just because they're black. No, I'm saying no. rape in general. Right. They came forward. They said, yeah, no, we fucking did that. You know what? Don't even go to court. I don't care if you're white, black, Asian, purple with fucking pink polka dots. Hang them right there in the fucking court. Then, because it's probably going to be warm outside because of the fucking South, you go have yourself a nice sweet tea or a mint julep <laughs> and a cigarette and you call it a day. Maybe a nice uh, chicken fried steak. Where's some fried chicken, a little bit of okra, some grits, you're good. Grits and gravy. Goddamn right. And for those of you that put sugar on your grits, by the way, you are some That's sick disgusting. bastards. I always I always try it with a little uh, some butter, salt, and pepper. That's what I do. Yeah. Butter, salt, pepper, and now a little bit of hot sauce. And I'm, I'm oh, golden. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because your taste buds are shot because you're smoking. Because <laughs> I'm smoking hot? Yeah. That is not what I said. Oh, the sexiness in one be quiet. day. Now, the defense team for all of the uh, suspects filed for a change of venue, but they lost it. Um, the first, the first of the defendants to be tried was Joe, twenty-year-old Joe Henry Hampton. On April twenty-first, an all-white jury was selected. Uh, the morning of April twenty-first, nineteen forty-nine, an all-white jury was selected. The state selected uh, Hampton because he seemed to be the initial attacker. Now, each defendant was assigned their court-appointed attorney, and they, they decided to sever the trials because the defense, you know, they won the, mo- the defense, you know, the attorneys won the, that motion. Now, it was at that time decided that there was nothing to be gained if the group was tried together. It would be too easy for the jury to attribute the behavior of one or two to all of them. Nevertheless, John Taylor and James Harrison agreed to have their trial held together. Now, the first person to take the stand in the Hampton trial was Ruby. According to records, uh, this is a quote. um, Hang on. 
I lost where the quote was from. Um, but courts say sobbing continuously, Ru- Mrs. Ruby Floyd, 32-year-old Mrs. Ruby Floyd, took the stand in city court here today and pointed out Joe Henry Hampton as the first of several Negro men who criminally assaulted and raped her in East Martinsville last January 8th. Um, she did speak in a clear, but, you know, kind of halting voice. You know what I mean? Cause when you're full of emotion, it's hard to get your words out. Yep. Um, but then she told the courts in excruciating details, the indignities that her attackers placed upon her. She said, I told them that they shouldn't do this to me, that it was against the laws of the land and against the laws of the Bible. Then she went on to say the men placed their hands over her mouth and held her down while Hampton sexually assaulted her. She said they kept my mouth covered all the time with their hands and tongues, sucking my tongue and slobbering all over me, which I think is disgusting. But, you know. Mm, Tell me more. Stop it. Why am I always in trouble? Why? Because you have a bad mouth. I just said this tell me more. This is a very serious case. I just said tell me more. In That's your creepy fucking voice. What creepy voice, That Tammy? one. <laughs> now, look. Oh, God. I'm your boyfriend now. That's what I kept thinking. <laughs> That's right. I'm your boyfriend now, Tina. <laughs> no, Nancy. Nancy. That was it. Nancy. Yes. Now, at that time, she pointed, she actually pointed out Hampton to the courts. <laughs> Um, then during that afternoon, Hampton took the stand in an effort to defend himself, (coughs) which I think is a bad idea. I don't know why they let him do that. Now he told the courts that he was drunk and could not remember whether he attacked her or not. He said he had been drinking all afternoon with Milner, Frank and Howard Harrison and could not recall the events at all. However, the prosecutor for the Commonwealth I.W. Cubine. That's a hell of a name. Yeah. Then presented the courts with his written confession. Um, and in it, he did remember the entire ugly story and what happened near those railroad tracks. He said when the lady started to holler, one of the boys slapped his hand over her mouth. When we got her over in the woods, she was still trying to get loose from the boys. She was begging us not to do anything to her, that she had children at home and belonged to a church. Now, um, it was that same afternoon that closing arguments were made. So it was only a day. Um, Then by 5.20 p.m. that evening, the case was actually turned over to the jury. And it wasn't even 30 minutes later the jury returned with a verdict of guilty. Um, according to news reports, he showed no he showed no more emotion than he had throughout the trial, in which he had been silent in his chair with his head resting in the cup of his right hand. Then the other trials, right? It was the following day when 19-year-old Frank Hairston went on trial. Of course, a different jury was was selected, and again, they were all white. The case began with Ruby again retelling her testimony. Um, she said, as she, after she pointed out Harrison, she told the court, there he sits there with that green sweater on. Her testimony lasted uh, for 40 minutes while the defense attorney, you know, uh, Harrison's defense attorney, William Carter, 
tried to get her to say she made a mistake on her identification of the of his client. But then she re- she yelled and said it was him. He seemed to me to have a mustache at the time, though. Now, um, Sergeant Barnes also took the stand and repeated the confession to the court and described the circumstances under which it had been given. He said that although Harrison appeared to have been drinking, he was not drunk and was calm. Then it was later that afternoon, Frank testified on his own behalf and contradicted what Sergeant Barnes said. He said, uh, some of the things in there he said, I said, I don't remember telling him. I ain't calling him a liar. I'm not saying I didn't say it. I don't remember saying it. So um, when the defendant was asked if he had any relations with Ruby, he denied it. He yelled, no, sir. The only time I myself had anything to do with her was down on the ridge when the woman was thrown in the pines. But he then admitted that some of the others had sexually assaulted her. And then he went on to say that he left the tracks and began to walk back to Cherrytown. And he said, we started over over to Cherrytown, walked by Mayor Prilliman's paint shop up there. And the cops, one of them, called us and said, come here. And that's when they arrested us. And then he goes on to say, to tell the truth, I don't know. Oh, wait. When they asked him what time it was when that happened. Um, and he said, to tell the truth, I don't know. I'd been drinking right heavy. I was pretty high. It was dark. Um, then right before he he stepped down he did ask the court for mercy if i hadn't been drinking i may not have done it i'm asking for mercy of the court and promise to be a better boy if you give me another chance now the jury left for deliberation at 5:37 and but then by 7:17 they had a verdict they found him guilty on all counts then over the next several days, the trials of Booker T. Milner, Howard Harrison, James Harrison, John Taylor, and Francis Grayson took place. Now, when Milner got on the stand to testify on his own behalf, he said he was unable to complete the assault, although he tried. He said, I, I did not have any feeling for the lady, so I got up and left. I know I did wrong and should have tried to help the lady. Now... You have to, I mean, it's like as each trial went on, it was almost an exact repeat of the ones before. Ruby got on the stand, then Sergeant Barnes got on the stand, and Charlie Martin even took some of the, uh, and even some of the defendants took the stand to tell their stories. In all six trials, no black man or woman was on the jury. In each case, the jury came back with the same verdict of guilty. Okay, now the mark, according to the reports written on May 4th, 1949, several hundred people swarmed around the courthouse yard and along the public square this morning in an attempt to get a look at the doomed men. The seven defendants were taken back into court to hear their sentence from Judge Kenan C. Whittle. Now, while each jury took a separate ballot for the penalty phase during the trials, and, de- and they all came back with a death sentence. The sentence did not become official until it was passed by the judge, which is the same case today. 
has to be confirmed by the judge. Now, the anticipation among the community was high that the court might show some mercy since no one had been killed during the assault and there was no homicidal intent on the part of the suspects. There was homicidal intent. Hold on. Hold on a goddamn second. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I was going to say... However, sorry, this is the, the uh, subject of, of women seriously being sexually assaulted or anybody being sexually assaulted yeah. gets under my skin. I know it so does. I'm, I'm gets under mine, just, too. Fucking God. But damn. I think they're saying that because uh, a lot of the community wasn't in the court to hear Ruby's testimony. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right. So that that tracks. Yeah. Now, John. Taylor actually told the reporter that day, I have never wanted 99 years as much as I want it now. Now, the courtroom was filled to capacity and the men were brought to the bench by the state troopers and sheriff's deputies. Now, of course, the defendant's family sat in the gallery crying and the first one to be sentenced was Joe Henry Hampton. Uh, this is what the judge said. According to the records, this is what the judge says. It is the judgment of this court that you be electrocuted until you are dead in accordance with the Virginia statutes. The date hereby fixed by the court for the execution is Friday, July 15th, 1949. See, they weren't wasting no time. Good. It is Good. my prayer that God have mercy on your soul. We'll add old Sparky and let's get this shit going. Right. And then... It- after that sentence, each of them received the the rest of them received the same sentence. And then when Grayson was asked if he had anything to say, he he said, I didn't do any harm. I have told the truth. I've always worked hard and have a family and five kids. Then the actually the, the sentencing proceedings took less than 30 minutes. And then, you know, after they received the sentence, the guys, the men said their goodbyes to their family and left the courtroom. Now, of course, the defense team appealed the verdicts. Um, according to them, the convictions could not be allowed to stand for many reasons, but their main arguments were the court's failure to grant a change of venue and the penalty given to the defendant. And um, the appeal said, in sentencing petitioners on account of their race and color to death, Pursuant to the policy of the Commonwealth of Virginia to inflict the death penalty upon Negroes convicted of rape upon a white woman while failing and refusing to inflict the death penalty upon white or any other persons convicted of the rape of a Negro woman. Okay. So one by one, each of the errors cited by the defense team was was like dismissed by the courts. According to Judge Edward Hudgens, he wrote the opinion from the for the Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals. He said a change of venue was not called for in this case because there was no general consensus against the suspects in the community. Now Hudgens agreed that the Martinsville trial judge with the trial judge when he stated the public in this community should be congratulated upon the way they have conducted themselves in this manner. The press should be congratulated in the way it has handled the news of this unfortunate thing. We can't say that today. I know. Fucking right? news outlets today would have a field day with this. Mm-hmm. You'd have one side sitting there, oh, it's because they're black. And then another side sitting there going, because they're poor. And then another side yep. going, going, well, they have it coming because they're not white. You'd have three pe- three different sources sitting there arguing the you would. fuck out of this. You would. And the appeals would go on forever. Oh, yeah, forever to fucking day. 
You know, yeah. that's why y'all should elect me as president of the world, because I tell you what, for rape and things like that, if we have 100 percent proof that this motherfucker did it, they're not going to get an appeal. I'll kill him in the courtroom today. Today. Yeah. Right fucking now. I, 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 and don't worry about spending a lot of money on lethal injection, man. I got guns. We'll just pop them. Fucking I, rapists and child molesters. Jesus I know. fucking Christ. I know. Just I agree. I agree with you. It doesn't matter if a man is raped or a woman, by the way. In my eyes, it's rape oh, is yeah. fucking rape. Yeah, I agree with you. Just Over like here, just, just like up. abuse of a man is just as ab- appalling as the abuse of a woman. Yeah, I Which, agree. Which unfortunately, men don't step up and say anything because it's a pr- you know it's a stigma attached. Yeah, to it. well, there's a stigma, and they all well, some of them still have that pride that how can I let a woman do this to me type thing, you know? So, um. Though the appeals were denied on all counts, there was the reality that seven men were being placed in the electric chair, one right after the other, and and I'm quoting here, like some assembly line of death. What's wrong with that? And then, so, anyways, this reality spread all over the nation. However, as repulsive as this scenario is to imagine, there was also the appalling truth that the long and bloody history of the death penalty in Virginia. Now, during the rest of 1949, the feeling among, you know, the nation grew that the punishment given to these defendants was actually unfair. It seemed to be a sort of justice overkill to sentence someone to death for a crime in which no one was killed and for which there was no lethal intent. Now, Virginia... However, Virginia had this long history of strict penalties. Since the early 19th century, punishment for rape or even attempted rape could be a death penalty. Though it was not mandatory, the jury still had the power to recommend this penalty in these cases. However, it wasn't the sentence itself that generated the controversy among the nation at the time. It was the manner in which the punishment was applied that led these people to question the intent of Virginia statutes. Now, during that time, research showed that whites who raped and were convicted did not receive the death penalty in Virginia. See, now that part's not fair. You're right. That is in the least bit. Tell you what, if you're white and you rape someone, you go to the front of the line too, asshole. Like, you're not, oh, yeah. I'll just spend 30 years in prison. No, not fuck even you. that. You, yeah, you, you go to the front of the line. I'll pop you in the fucking head today. Like, I'll get the gun today into it. Yeah. Now, um, you have to remember, uh, let's see here. When the defense attorneys, com- you know, wrote up their appeals, they actually compiled statistics on capital punishment in Virginia during the 20th century. What they discovered was a disturbing trend toward the application of death penalty in the state that predated the Civil War. Now, from 1900 until the time of the Martinsville 7 trial, 37 black defendants were executed for the crime of rape. An additional 19 received the death penalty for attempted rape. However, no white men had received the death penalty for either crime in that same time period. In the 19th century, um, as you can expect, these figures were even higher. From the year 1800 to 1900, 
526 black defendants were executed by the state of Virginia for a variety of crimes, which actually included burglary, slave revolt, robbery, stealing, arson, and a list of other felonies. However, in contrast to that, only 46 whites were executed. For the crime of rape or attempted rape, 64 black men received the death penalty, while no white man suffered the same fate for that exact same crime. Yeah, that's 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 some bullshit. That's fucking bullshit right there. Exactly. In fact, for as long as the records have been kept in Virginia, not one white man had ever been ex- executed for raping a woman. It's fucking appalling. I know. Now, obviously, this was a disparity in sentence was a revelation to many people. They didn't know these statistics. So the attorney, the defense attorneys were confident that any fair court after reviewing that evidence would see that the justice system in Virginia was highly biased against black Americans. Now, they submitted these attorneys submitted another appeal to the city of Richmond courts. They outline the curious history of capital punishment in Virginia for the past 150 years and included shocking statistics they had compiled from government archives. Um, Though it may have been conclusive to some jurists, Judge Ray Doubles was not convinced. He told the defense attorneys that dozens of different juries at different times had sentenced those defendants to death. Therefore, it could not be said that the courts were acting on a policy that was either endorsed or supported by the state, which I disagree with. The juries, in effect, acted on their own, and the state could not be held responsible for what they came up with. The appeals were denied again. That's when people began to protest. During the summer of 1950 and then into the fall, the political movement to save these defendants grew. Across the nation, the NAACP and the Civil Rights Congress tried to rally support. In some of those cases, they succeeded. In others, they failed. According to one New York newspaper, the voice of the American Communist Party took up the cause of the seven and was, and I'm quoting here, I'm going to, vociferous? It was for Mother Russia. In its complaint that the defendants had been framed. Their coverage of the story actually grew more radical as the time went on. And it was um, and it was typified by this, you know, this article that was that was printed on May 31st, 1950 on front on the front page. It said Southern Justice has created a ruthless assembly line legal machine here that has so far ground out death sentences for seven Negro men. If they die, it will be legal lynching organized on a cold, calculating legal basis to satisfy the lynch appetite aroused among white townspeople. Now, this newspaper went on to say, the mar- uh, as they outlined an alleged conspiracy against you know, that was led by the business community in that town to send these defendants to their deaths. It went on to say the Martinsville verdicts revealed that Negroes are still considered slaves. Martinsville court authorities had no qualms about tearing up the Constitution, the Emancipation Proclamation, and any other laws in their desperate drive to send these seven men to death. Now, the supporters of the Martinsville Seven managed to obtain several stays of execution. 
that afforded more time for the defense team, you know, to file more appeals. Right. And so the NAACP attorneys who had joined the effort to save the, uh, the seven men worked tirelessly with Virginia authorities. Um, newspaper reports said the seven innocent victims of Virginia-style Jim Crow justice have received two stays of execution as a result of nationwide and international protests. We're on to say last November, their execution set for the 17th and the 20th of that month were stayed pending action by the high court. Then there was also um, in Washington, D.C., writers, artists, and professionals called upon President Harry Truman to intervene in the spirit of compassion. This effort was led by the New York Council of Arts, which presented a petition asking for the lives of the seven defendants. This petition said our vigil at the White House is being conducted to remind all who see it or hear of it that true justice, unsullied by prejudice or bigotry, is the only hope of life for these seven men. Um, Then it was during that time, as the execution date approached again, that protests continued in cities across the nation. Um, approximately a hundred, an estimated hundred persons are keeping an around the clock death watch outside the president's mansion in protest of the scheduled execution of the Martinsville seven. Um, a desperate appeal was actually made to Virginia governor, John S. Battle, who previously refused to intervene in this case. The defense attorneys for the defendant, for the seven men called upon battle to commute the the sentences to life in prison. On February 1st, he declined their request. He said that the protestations of certain groups, quote, had no semblance of truth and was designed for no other purpose than to attempt to foment ill feeling between the races and to mislead those who have no knowledge of the true facts of these cases. Then it was the following day that Chief, Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court Fred M. Vincent denied the state of the stay of execution. That was the third and final time that the Supreme Court refused to he- even hear the case. Now, the first defendant who died was Joe Henry Hampton, 22-year-old Joe Henry Hampton, um, who was said to have initiated the assault. The they shaved his head and his hands were in irons, and he was strapped into the chair at approximately 8:02 a.m. Um, after that, you know, after Hampton was executed, 12 minutes later, Howard, Howard Hairston was executed. Then 12 minutes, 12 minutes after that, Booker Milner. And then again, 12 minutes after that, 19 year old Frank Hairston, as they were each led to the chair, the prison minister recited prayers for them. And according to, um, one newspaper article, uh, Frank Harrison's last words were, I never touched the woman. I am innocent, but I am resigned to death now, and I will meet you all on the other side. Also executed that same day was a black, another black, a 27-year-old black man who had actually murdered a 14-year-old girl in Halifax County. Um, newspaper reports said four of the seven Martinsville Negroes denied an 11th hour stay by the, were denied, an 11th hour stay by the chief justice of the United States were electrocuted in the old state penitentiary here today for the rape of a white woman. Um, 
Although Virginia has a statute on its books that forbids the press from reporting on the details of execution, uh, the reporters were still able to get their information. One newspaper article said the men went quietly to the chair, comforted by spiritual advisors, unaware of the frantic effort to save their lives. Um, Outside the gates of the prison, a few dozen supporters marched and continued protests against the execution, and over 10,000 letters and telegrams poured into the office of the governor, urging him to show compassion. In Richmond, hundreds of people picketed the governor's mansion, hoping for a last-minute reversal that never came. On Monday, February 5th, um, John Taylor, James Harrison, and Francis DeSalle Grayson were taken from their cells and had their final walk through the cold basement of the old state penitentiary. Taylor was the first to be executed at approximately 7.30 a.m., and then... Like the other four, the final three were quiet and had nothing to say in the hours before their deaths in 12-minute increments. Um, the, Mar- the Martinsville lo- Funeral Home claimed the bodies and brought them back to the city where the community mourned the loss of the seven men. Um, according to a, a, one newspaper, it, is, it has been said in this town for many weeks Uh, This week, perhaps, was the saddest remembered in many old minds. Nearly everyone in this country's town's Negroes turned out to see the Martinsville Seven go to their graves. As for Ruby, she left Henry County and could not be located, even by local reporters. Her disappearance actually fed rumors of a conspiracy and more radical speculation by the press. Um... One newspaper article said, across the tracks, nobody talks about Ruby Strout. Never very bright. In, it is doubtful that she, will, that she will be able to overcome the omnipresent fact that seven human lives have been snuffed out to protect her questionable name. Um, there was an editorial printed on February 6, 1951, that stated, They are dead now, the seven young Virginia Negroes, six of them barely out of their teens. They are dead because the white supremacy system needed new victims. Now, there were also some more political groups that used the Martinsville 7 as a hammer to chip away at at the common enemies. The Communist Party actually used it to highlight the dilemma of American blacks, whom they saw as trapped in a system of injustice and discrimination in which they had no hopes of ever escaping. Um, Then there was another article that was printed and it was much more inflammatory and inaccurate than even the Southern press during that time (laughs) that said seven Negroes have gone to their death uh, from their funeral pyre, shot up a flame so high it was seen around the world. By its light, men everywhere read the inescapable lesson of the case, the lesson that a decaying system must murder Negroes to bolster a foul white supremacy upon which the system rests. Now, Let's get this straight. They were not burned at the stake. So by that statement alone, I think, was uncalled for. You know what I mean? Oh, I got some opinions. You you just keep going because I'm over here just festering. I know you are. Now, the NAACP gathered their resources to support the seven defendants, and their efforts were always compromised by the obvious guilt of them. And any assistance provided by the... uh, Oh, God, the CRC, I can't remember what that's called, but may have actually hurt the efforts because it, 
because of its distortion of the facts to the public. One newspaper actually told the story of the case under the headline, The Struggle for Seven Innocent Lives, an inflammatory title that had no bearing on the truth because the men admitted their guilt, right? A Time Magazine report that was published on February 12th stated that the Communist Party was making propaganda out of the Martinsville Seven with suitable adjustments to the facts. In denying denying one of the appeals of the Martinsville Seven, Judge Hudgens of the Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals said the death penalty, quote, does not depend upon the race of the accused, but on the circumstances, aggravation, and enormity of the crime. The law applies to all alike, regardless of race or creed. Now, in accordance with the rape of Ruby, he said there were no circumstances that indicated mercy. Francis Grayson was 37 years old, saw the four men attacking Ruby, and instead of helping her, he left the scene, informed two others of what was taking place. The three went to the scene and each in return raped Ruby. One can hardly conceive of a more atrocious or more beastly crime. Um... However, the New York Amsterdam News felt differently. When we consider the fact that in the entire history of the Old Dominion State, no white man has ever received capital punishment, then the necessity we must conclude that the death penalty for seven men for a singular crime was neither righteous nor compassionate nor wise. Now, from reports that I've read, and I forgot to put it in here, it's I think it's my understanding that even though they were executed... It has been decided that, you know, they were not, they didn't warrant the death penalty. You know what I mean? And I agree with the fact that, I mean, if you have obvious statistics, written statistics, that no white man who had committed rape during all that time had ever received the death penalty, why in the hell did these African-American men receive it? Or any African-American man for that matter? You know what I'm saying? Oh, I do. I'm afraid to hear this. um, But go ahead. Your turn. (laughs) I know. I shouldn't have said those words. All right. Before I even start this shit, don't even give me any of your bullshit emails and shit about, oh, you're a racist. Fuck off. Like, straight up, fuck off. I have to light a cigarette. Of course you do. But I think, I mean, just to interject real quick while you let your cigarette is, I think this kind of falls along the lines of things we had talked about before of the severe penalties in the South, period. So go ahead. Here's the deal, yo. When people look at others, let's, let's put this case aside because this is going to be relevant to what I'm about ready to say. When you look at, like, let's say your neighbors and go, oh, it's not fair that they have a new car. It's not fair that they can afford to paint their house. That causes a problem. You're looking at everything that you don't have and thinking that you deserve it because somebody else has it. That's going to play into what I'm going to say because right now, everybody, right now, right now, I know you motherfuckers are sitting there going, oh, here it comes. He's a racist asshole. It, I'm not. Okay, I'm not thinking. I'm not thinking. Not a racist you. Ass- no, I'm not thinking you're a racist asshole. I'm just wondering where you're going with this. Instead of looking at no white guys were executed for rape, but black guys were, and focusing on that, what the white people are getting 
uh, away with that the black people aren't. Why not use that as a fucking tool to change how shit goes? Don't sit there and bitch about it going, well, you know, it's not fair to kill them because the white people didn't, which it's not. It's not, the, it's, it's not fair to kill one race beca- and, and let another race walk away right. pretty much scot-free. However, instead of using that in some arcane, fucked-up way, why not use that as a tool and, yeah, bring it to the attention go, hey, wait a minute, statistically, no white guys got killed, but you're, you're killing off black people. You know, um, we need to change this. Fair is fair. Right. But instead, you have all you fucking morons out there saying, but this is happening to this race and not this race. Stop. Fucking stop. Pull your heads out of your fucking asses. Use it as a tool to make a change and not a fucking complaint. Because I can bitch all day and all night, okay? I can bitch all day and all night that my neighbor across the street just bought himself a brand new pickup. And it's not fair. But why not take that information and figure out how I can get the same thing in a legal way. Bottom line is, these assholes raped, uh, uh, did an aggravated rape against a woman repeatedly for yeah. hours on end. And yeah. all these fucking morons are concerned with the rights of these criminals over the rights of the victim. And the most ludicrous thing that you said in this was to protect her uh, questionable name. I know. That's what I didn't like. I either. am fucking appalled that any person would ever fucking questionable. Motherfucker, she was raped. Yeah. Repeatedly by these drunk fucking criminals. And I don't care if they're black. I don't care if they're white. I don't care if they're Asian or Polynesian or if they came from under the sea. And the day. They're fucking criminals. They right. assaulted a woman. They ruined her life. She mm-hmm. had to be hospitalized. She had repeat infections. You know, and the mental yeah. trauma alone yes. is ludicrous. So, and, and, I'm, and it happens to this day. It happens to this oh, day. yeah. I, I, I see it on the news all the time. Well, it ain't fair. That, and I, I saw this. This was probably maybe 10 years ago. But I see one similar, similar where a mom was complaining to the news. It's not fair that, uh, that my son got killed just because he went in there to rob a store. Yeah. Really? Really? That's not fucking fair. Is it fair that your son went in there with a gun and tried to rob somebody? Was that fair? Oh, no. I guess that's perfectly okay, right? Shut the fuck up. Shut your fucking pie holes. I'm, I, I'll keep... I, I, if I don't stop myself, I'm going to keep going. I'm just... I'm so pissed. No. No, I agree with you because, it, I mean, when they said that about, you know, her, quote, questionable name... Oh, oh hold on. I want to... Before you even continue, I want to put in one more thing. Uh, and if it was a white guy who went in and robbed the store and got his ass blown away, I'm okay with that, too. Like, seriously. If my son went in with a gun and robbed the store and you blow him away and you kill him, hey, don't get me wrong. I'm going to be sad that you killed my son. But the motherfucker would have it coming. You went in. You went in with a gun to try to rob a store, and you lost. You took a gamble. You threw yeah. them dice, and guess what? But, motherfucker, you didn't roll a lucky seven. You rolled snake eyes. I was going to say, they, you get turned up snake eyes. Yeah, you turned up snake eyes, son, and they, he blew your fucking he blew your head off. Yeah. Now I have to comfort my dog, because now that I go. I, I know. She's, she's a little like, upset. She's like, are you okay? Oh, yeah. my gosh. Honey, I'm okay. So, anyways, hey, what I wanted to say is, when they said... 
her questionable name. That falls along the lines of, remember the 70s, 80s, and even 90s? It was said that if a woman wore a miniskirt or a halter top and she was raped, she had it coming. She shouldn't have dressed that way. I dress that way all the time and nobody's rapes me. And I'm so upset about that. Okay, no. You haven't, thing, worn the, you haven't worn the tube top and tutu like I asked you to. I'm a sexy a bitch, okay. Basis. You refuse to do it. I don't care. Oh I've asked you to and never get stuck. I dropped my pen again. I better bend over and get that. Oh, yes. Anywho. And still no raping. Yeah. You got the bend and snap. Legally blind. <laughs> Anyways, so no woman, I don't care what she's wearing, how much she's had to drink, what she says deserves to be raped. Agreed, 100%. And I'm saying that as a victim of it. You know, I never deserved it. No woman deserves it. No woman deserves to be treated that way. Even if they're married, their husband has no right to sexually assault them because that happens. No, I know. That, yeah. You know? And so, I mean, that's where I'm at with this case. Um, I... <sighs> It's hard for me to say that. I mean, to say this because it was Virginia state statutes at the time. However, I, I wish I had the statistics on other state statutes during that time. You know what I mean? So I've equated this to the harsh penalties handed down in the South. Um, we still know that it is on the books that a man can beat his wife on the courthouse steps in Georgia as long as he doesn't put his ice cream cone in his back pocket. Now that we need, because I'll tell you what, a lot of you women out there are awful goddamn mouthy. And it's got to be a Sunday, by the way. It's got to be a Sunday. It has to be a Sunday on the courthouse on steps. The, on the courthouse steps. So that might, y'all might keep that in mind when you think about being all mouthy, Jen doll. Can I just, in, in Georgia. Well, they're pretty goddamn close. They're down there in Florida. That's so, right. So just a little trip up north, and maybe maybe, maybe old Jen Daw won't be so goddamn mouthy so much. And talk about skinning you just a little bit. That's right. See, you got to teach women their place. That's, that's, that's You the know thing. what? Now I'm going to hit you because you know how I feel about that statement. Sir, I'm going to need you to you calm know, down. You know, you know what? I'll, and I'll say this just you know real quick. There was one time, because I used to be uh, a leader in the church youth group. And everything. So we were on a youth leader retreat one time because we all took, you know, a weekend every year and just went out and just vetched, you know. Um, and it's and it was like it was the last day and I was helping clean the kitchen and everything. And one of the guys who knows how I feel, first of all, about racism and sexism and all that other stuff, walked up to me and said, oh, you're cleaning the kitchen. At least, you know, your role. Hey, yeah, I agree with and him. And do you know what I did? I threw the sponge on him and said, you can do it now. <laughs> See, that's not right. You should have said, yes, sir. I do, because I'm a woman. I should be cooking and cleaning and shutting no. up. No, that is not going to happen. But. Oh, hold on. I got to clarify, because we we have new listeners. I know we do. Because I look at the stats. I'm not sexist. I'm just fucking with you guys. It's yeah, just, it's a fucking joke. For fuck's sakes, before you start getting all ass hurt and shit in your pants, ah, damn, chill out. I, I'm not sexist. Um, no, got a lot of respect for women, and there's a whole reason for it. Number one, women are incredible. Number two, they have the vaginas, and I kind of like the vaginas. And number one, yes, we are incredible because what man can ever go through a menstrual cycle or birth without whining his ass off? 
The birth Just I can handle. Saying. The birth I can handle. Oh, I doubt no, it. Let, let me tell you why. Because C-section that thing and and it, no. Well, no yeah, problem. if you C-section it, but but if no. I bled out of my dick for a day, let's say good well, one day. Yeah, seven to t- try seven to ten days. And I'm not even talking like a heavy bleed. I like some of the girls I've dated that you know spot a little bit and just go, oh, that's nothing. If I had a spot of blood coming out of my dick, yeah, dude. I'm calling all my friends. I'm saying, okay, we're gonna need, we need to plan my funeral. Because um, I'm, I'm dying. I'm sorry for anything I've ever did. Mm-hmm. I'd be calling up like my buddy Brandon, going, "Hey, I think one time I forgot to bring a box of ammo when we were out shooting, and I'm so sorry for that." And he'd be like, "When was that? I don't know. It's probably back in like I don't know 2002 or something. I don't know, but I know that I may have done that. Um, you know, I'd be start atoning for all your crimes." Oh, I would. I would. I'm sorry that I jaywalked back when I was like 16 years old uh, when we were in California. And I'm sorry that I that I looked at a woman's boobs when she bent over. I would. I Oh, yeah. I would be just distraught. Everything would make me cry. And that's at a drop of blood. I'd be sitting there. Going, yeah. That poor Bobby. Over there. Yeah. Dude, he just now ate five people. He's probably just really angry. This is a poor dog. <laughs> He's just fucking crying. Somebody should feed the dog. Oh, I, I, I would Make be sure you take care of my baby when I'm gone. Now, y'all might be thinking that's just a one-time deal. Oh, no. That would be me every month. Every month. At just one drop. I'd be crying. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, that, that comes along with what my mom did one time. Because when I was in prison, they tried, you know, because I, and I know this is TMI, but I always had a heavy flow. And so they tried putting me on birth control. Well, I react to the hormones in birth control in a weird way. So I literally had my cycle for two and a half months. Holy fuck. Not the heavy one, but still a cycle. And it's like, no matter what I said to the doctor, they weren't, they were like, oh, well, this is, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're, you'll be fine. Everything else. Right. So I was on the phone crying to my mom one time. I said, mom, I don't know what to do. This is not normal. You never hear of a woman having a cycle for this long. And so she called up and talked to the doctor, actually got a hold of the doctor on the phone and said to him, you know what? You're sitting here saying that this is normal for my daughter to go through this. But what would you do if you were bleeding out your dick for, and my mom said dick, for two and a half months straight? How would you feel then? Right? And it is true. I mean, uh, no man could handle a menstrual. I mean, cramps alone, no. I would be overly affectionate to my guy friends, too. I'd be, like, hugging Brandon. He'd be like, dude, what are you doing? He'd be like, right on his cheek. I just want you to know, man, I love you. I know I'm going to die. You just kissed me on the cheek, bro. What the fuck? I'd be because I'm going to die. And I just want you to know how much I love you. I appreciate our friendship. You're a great guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, no. that's me even thinking about a drop of blood coming out of my dick. Yeah. So, you know, but... Like I, like I, you know, like I've been saying, because, um, and this is going to be hard to say too, but what some people don't realize is that women who suffer this kind of a crime suffer from PTSD. It's a known fact. And it, it is very traumatic. And so the fact that she was hospitalized for several months had the repeat infections and I'm pretty sure she had mental instabilities 
you know, and to sit there and say that she ran away from the situation when she couldn't be found, I'd go into hiding myself. Oh, hell yeah. Because I wouldn't want to freaking face the reporters and shit in their accusations. Yeah, exactly. Especially with that bullshit going on. You ready to wrap this motherfucker up? uh, Yeah. Remember, boys and girls, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Be nice if Tammy uploaded some more blogs, but no. She's I over don't there have just time. she's over there farting and crapping all over everybody. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> Log on to Facebook and join citizens of Brutal Nation. Interact with us. This show's copyrighted 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And if you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast except for Metal Cross Radio, they're lying. Even bastards. bastards. And we will talk to you guys later on. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.